series today on the Psalms, and I want to encourage you to uh, take part in our summer reading plan. Why the Psalms? Why, why the Psalms? Well, there is something different about the book of Psalms in the 66 books in the Bible from the rest of the Bible. It's very, very unique. It's not oppositional. It's not contradictory. It's just different. John Calvin said that the Psalms are an anatomy of the soul. We go to the Psalms when we're depressed, when we're anxious, when we're happy to, for worship. When we're, we go to the Psalms with the cares of our soul. Martin Luther said that the Psalms are like a mini-Bible. They're five books. They cover everything from worship, they're messianic psalms, they're psalms of sadness, lamentation, or imprecatory psalms. They're, they cover the whole gamut, the whole history of our redemption from the point that we are created to the point that we become followers with the promise of a Messiah in Christ. And it speaks of our eternal home and dwelling in God on high in the heavens. Tim Keller, Tim and Kathy Keller wrote a book recently published called The Songs of Jesus. And it's, we'd like to get it for our book table. Uh, it's a devotion, a daily devotional on each of the 150 Psalms. And Tim Keller describes the Psalms as a medicine chest for what ails us. We are going to see that the Psalms indeed are the songs of Jesus, that they are songs and they're prayers. Historically, the only Bible that people for the longest time owned was a Psalter, a collection of the Psalms. They didn't have in their possession, lay people did not have in their possession the Old or the New Testament in completion, but they had the Psalms. Even older than that, ancient Israel had the Psalms committed to memory as you would your favorite songs. And because there are 150 Psalms, and because this is a summer series, what we decided to do was a top 15 summer playlist. Now, some of you guys are still a bit young to to remember the old boombox. You may be far too young to remember cassette tapes. Now, I know most of you are very, very young that you wouldn't remember the old 8-track cassettes. Couldn't even find those guys anymore. But imagine taking the top 15 psalms and that becomes your summer playlist. It becomes songs that you go to. And so uh, Justin and I looked and looked and looked and we took a number of polls and we went online and we said, what are the top 15 psalms? Well, we began this week with the first psalm, Psalm 1. And we're going to go through and there's select psalms. Again, we're not going to cover all of them, but select psalms as we go through this series, but we do invite you to read along with us as we're going through. 
And this morning, we're looking at Psalm 1. Now, I want to show you three things about Psalm 1. Number one, I want to show you that there are two choices to find happiness. And happiness is possible. Please don't tune out. I, I don't know. I, I'm almost tempted to do a survey by raising of hands, but I won't do that this morning. Many of us can find ourselves at a peak right now. Life is good. But I believe there are many more of us at Two Rivers that would say, my life is really in the trough right now. Life is not so good. When John Newton, in the song Amazing Grace, when he says, it was grace that saved a wretch like me, it's pretty wretched right now. I really struggle with happiness. In fact, I've gone to cynicism that I don't even believe that happiness is possible anymore. It's been so long since I experienced it. Well, I want to show you that happiness from Psalm 1 is promised. It is possible. It is achievable if we would go after it. And I want to show you two ways to find happiness. And then secondly, I want to show you that the first step is is we've got to say no to walking, standing, and sitting in sin. And then the, the third thing I want to show you is that we actually say yes to delight. We actually, as one of my mentors used to tell me, I sentence you to joy. In other words, we're condemned to pleasure and happiness and delight. What a happy sentence that falls upon us. What is making you happy right now? What's making you happy? Here's here's my summer uh, playlist. Now, be mindful that this is influenced by a six-year-old. Lost Boy, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World, The Fight Song, Once I Was Seven Years Old, Spidey Senses Overload on Overload. You're going to have to look to find that one. And then the last one is Happy. What is making you happy? Is happy in your playlist or do you need to upgrade your playlist from mourning and lamenting, from sadness or anxiety, from worry, fear? Well, Psalm 1 needs to be in our playlist. Psalm 1 offers us two choices for happiness. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise if you're a student of the Bible. From the very beginning, God has laid out for His people two choices, two ways. The right way, the way of righteousness. The wrong way, the way of the wicked. A way with Him, a way without Him. He lays out two cultures or two kingdoms. Some lays out, sometimes, particularly in the Proverbs, he'll lay out two men, the wise man, the fool. In the New Testament, the first Christians were labeled those who walked in the way, or they were nicknamed the way. People who walked in the way of God. In Deuteronomy Chapter 11, verses 26 through 30. 
And I'm only going to read verse uh, 29. Well, I'll read verse 26 and 29. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. And then down to verse 29. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerasim and the curse on Mount Ebal. God gave his people as they entered the promised land. You remember the story of the Exodus. They were slaves in Egypt. And then they went through the wilderness for 40 years. They're now under the lead of Joshua on the edge of the promised land. As they're getting ready to go into the promised land, God tells them. He says there's two ways for happiness. You can either find happiness by walking with me, being in fellowship with me, by listening to my voice, or... You can pursue happiness, though it's really a curse, by being like the world around you, by being like those who dwell currently in the promised land that you're going to dispossess, and they're idols. And as they enter into Jordan, there are two mounts. One of them is Mount Gerasim, and he instructed them to go to the top of Mount Gerasim and to pronounce the blessings of the Lord. Blessings such as, never was there a people like we who have such a God like you. We were a chosen people. God, you have chosen us, not because we're the wisest or the strongest or the most numerous, but you've put your love on us to love us because you love us. God, you're a people, we're a people you've redeemed out of slavery. We're a people that you choose to dwell with, with the cloud by day and the fire by night. You're a God that speaks to us. You're a God that allows us to speak to you. All of this was set apart as blessings. But then they were to go to Mount Ebal as well. And on top of Mount Ebal, they would say, cursed are those that do not follow our God. Cursed are those that follow an idol. Cursed are those that do not love the sojourner and their neighbor even as themselves. And it was there at the base of Mount Ebal that the sacrificial altar was made. Before I leave this, why do you think Psalm 1 is the first psalm? They weren't in chronological order. They they weren't cataloged such that when the Bible was being put together canonically, or when the Bible was being put together through the scrolls and the writing, it wasn't like they were already pre-numbered or preset. Why is Psalm 1 the first of 150 psalms? Tremper Longman on Psalm 1 says this, The reader naturally identifies with one or the other at the door of the literary sanctuary of the psalms. Psalm 1 stands out like the Levitical, that's a priest, gatekeeper warning the wicked to proceed no further. In other words, Psalm 1 is a gateway. It's an entry into all of the other psalms. And it's an entry into all the songs and the prayers that God's people would make to God. It's a gateway. It's in between. It's it's a way to walk in between the blessings and the curses. It shows us the way to go. 
It shows us to discern between those two ways. God's way or my own pursuit of happiness. It is indeed a path. And we're, we see this here in very, the very first word of Psalm 1 is, Blessed is the man. Blessed is a synonym for happy, for happiness. And the word here is not only happy, but it's happies. It's plural, if there were such a word. It's blessednesses. It's multiple happinesses come to the man who is going to enter into this inter-sanctuary, this intimacy of relationship with God in song and prayer is found in the Psalms. So I want to invite you further now to enter in. Notice that it begins in verse 1 with who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It begins by saying no. Why? Why does it begin with a negative? Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was also a medical doctor, said that the Bible begins here with a negative because the Bible is realistic. The Bible is realistic when it comes to our propensity to sin, when it comes to our propensity to pursue happiness on our own. I want you to imagine that I've got a storage container here and it contains three things that the world holds before you that promises happiness. First, it holds people. If I just have a relationship, if I just have a husband, if I just have a wife, if I just have a good friend, if, if things are better with me and the missus, if, if I just have that relationship that I've dreamed of with my kids, if I just have a relationship people, then I'll be happy. The second thing that I'll put in this canister is possessions. Be it money, or be it physical possessions like beauty or strength. If I just have that, that's all that's keeping me back. If I just have that money or that house or, or that car, then I'll be happy. Third thing I'll put in this canister are circumstances. If I just have good health. Or if I just have a change of position at college or in the workplace or in the neighborhood or in the workforce if I just if my circumstances would just change or as long as my circumstances stay where they are right now I'll be happy happiness is not going to be found in those things as an end happiness is not found in people or possessions, or circumstances. Happiness will not be found in anything created. It will not be found in the creature. Happiness can only be found in a relationship with our Creator. So the Bible comes forward not first with a positive, you want to be happy, go do this. It comes first with a negative. I've... uh, What is this walking around, standing on, sitting in? Time doesn't permit me this morning to to go into any detail, but let me tell you many of the lies for happiness that I hear. The best way to find happiness is to look within yourself. Sounds good, 
But you won't find happiness by looking within yourself. It's like looking in the mirror and just saying, be happy. Or singing a song, be happy. It fades so quick. People should not criticize what makes others happy. To be happy, you must pursue what you desire most. The highest goal is to enjoy life as much as possible. Society needs to allow people to be happy as long as no one is hurt. Any kind of sexual expression is acceptable as long as it is mutually pleasing. The Bible would say those things your heart is going to gravitate to pursue happiness because God wired you that way. Jesus is the happiest person, man, God alive. God has a glorious future and not a miserable present planned for you. C.S. Lewis said, if the Bible and the Psalms are clear about anything, happiness and joy are the very serious business of heaven. And everything wired about God's kingdom. There is no angry God. There is no judgmental God. There is a happy Father that we serve and follow. And so when He comes with a negative, He's not coming as a killjoy, but He's coming and saying, Oh, little one, I know you think that people and possessions and circumstances either staying the same or changing will make you happy but don't waste your time there they won't in fact they can really cause you quite a bit of grief why if you're a christian today if you have one foot on god's way pursuing a relationship with god in worship in community in fellowship if you are a person who is known as a person who is in the way, and yet you have another foot in the world, a love of the world, the things that, that the world holds forward that will make you happy. If you put one, forward, one foot in what God says will make you happy and one foot in what the world says will make you happy, I will tell you that's like a foot on the dock and a foot on the boat. It's quite painful in that straddle as that boat begins to move away. Have you ever thought that maybe a lot of your depression and your distress and your sadness and your mourning and your lack of joy is because you're in pain? You're straddling. You're trying to have it both ways. And God is allowing that trough to sort you out and says, I'm going to let you be sad I'm going to let you be sad. I want you to mourn and find again that these things, people, possessions, and circumstances, it's a pipe dream. And you've put all your hopes there, and that's why you're sad, because they've let you down once again as not being true and lasting happiness. But God doesn't leave us there. God says repent, which is to change the direction we're going in. He's saying Get one foot off the dock now. Get fully on board the boat and come sail with me. Let's go. Let's pursue happiness with one another. And that's the third. That's saying yes to delight in the law. Now the law here 
is not simply the Ten Commandments or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or, or Leviticus or the book of Deuteronomy. The law here means everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. How can you delight in those things? You delight in them when you hear them coming from one that loves you most. Think about the promises that come to God. Think about the blessings on Mount Garrison. Thomas Chalmers wrote a sermon that the title says it all. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Now, if you miss everything I've had to say, I want you to hear this last point. You can't stop pursuing happiness as the world prescribes it. You can't stop that on your own. You certainly will not stop because you're made to pursue happiness. You really are. You're made to be happy. You have every reason as a follower of Christ to be happy. But if you're not... And you say, I've come to see that I've put my hopes in people and possessions and circumstances. And so I'm just going to stop that. There's such a vacuum that if you just stop that and go to nothing, you won't be able to maintain the self-control or the self-discipline to last very long. Imagine a science experiment where we have something in the cup. And in order for that, that in the cup to be removed, it's got to be pushed out. So we put a heavier fluid, a more worthy fluid in there. And as we pour that in, it pushes the lighter fluid out. The love of the world, Thomas Chalmers says, cannot be expunged, expelled, by a mere demonstration of the world's unworthlessness. We can't simply look at it and say, hey, don't pursue people, they'll let you down. Don't pursue uh, possessions, they'll just rust and they'll flee and you'll lose them. Don't pursue circumstances because they're always changing, they're not fixed. You can't just say they're unworthy, don't. We won't stop it. We'll continue to pursue those things. But may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. The best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit a pure one and by the love of what is good to to expel the love of what is evil. Notice that that is what the psalmist is doing here. He's saying, I'm going to say no to walking, standing, and sitting in pursuit of happiness the way the world around me prescribes. I'm going to say no to that. But I'm saying no to that as my delight in God's words, God's promises, the gospel that God has accepted me now in Christ. That love will supplant these other pursuits. And that will, in effect, produce New emotions. That affection of hearing God being happy now with me through Christ, I began to experience the happiness that I was designed for. And notice he says, here's how I do it. I meditate. 
I meditate on His law, His words, His good news to me day and night. As we end, would you do this exercise with me? It's in verse 3 that we see a visual. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And he says, this tree that is planted, this fruitful tree, is in contrast to shaft that is dry, lifeless, rootless, always on the move, has no home, is unsettled. It has a bad, lonely end far from God. But he says, meditate. Meditate on verse 3. What do you see? We see first that it's a tree that's planted. It didn't plant itself. There's a gardener. We have a God who is intentional, who knows you by name. He longs to plant you. He longs for you to be fruitful. He longs for you to thrive in beauty and in joy and in strength. And He knows where to plant you. It's no accident that you are where you are right now. And notice, though, that you may question your circumstances right now. God has planted you there, and there are not one stream, but there are streams, plural, of water. Life-giving water there. And you may say, oh, Pastor Phil, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know my life. I just feel so dry. Well, thank God you're in one stream this morning. You're in worship. I would encourage you to get plugged in to community groups or Bible studies or friendships, discipleship, one-on-one, spiritual conversations, praying for one another, having people pray for you, people speaking into your life, you speaking into their life. There are multiple streams available. You're not made to grow alone. You're made to grow and abound with, with multiple streams speaking into your life. Notice that this is something that he will meditate on when it's daylight and then also in the darkness. And that when bad weather comes in or poor seasons of winter come in, this tree still is alive. It is still prospering. It's strong. Why? Because it's not bought in to the false promise of happiness being found in people or possessions or circumstances which are ever-changing. The roots here go down to an unchanging God. So the psalmist says there's a way to happiness. There's the promise of the world. There's the promise of God. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to approach the Psalms in this manner. I'll I'll call it the triple A manner. Take a psalm. Look at it and say, is there something here that I can admire about God? What is this psalm in my reading? What is it? This is meditation. You begin to chew on it. This is where you're going to find happiness. What is it that I see about God that I can admire here? It will lead your heart to worship. Secondly, what does it tell me about myself? What can I admit about myself? 
Lord, I have been walking, standing, and sitting with sinners. I have thought, I have bought into that lie again and again. If I just have this, it will be happy. But then the new wears off, or then it doesn't work for me, or people disappoint me and break my heart, and Lord, I'm back to you, and I'm so sorry that I left. What do I need to admit? And then lastly, what's it calling me to? What do I need to aspire to? What is it calling me to? This psalm calls me to be like a tree. It calls me to be strong and beautiful with my roots in relationship to God. How far from that am I? What would it look like if we were like that as two rivers? Trees, fruitful, living on the water of God's Word in our life. We would be happy. Let's pray.